What's up, guys? You are listening to the YBR Remo Show, where we talk all things Vancouver real estate and mortgages, take boring topics, and make them interesting. Make sure to stay tuned to listen to everything you need to know how to put cash back in your pocket, create wealth in real estate, and simplify the complicated. All right, all right. It's another fantastic day today, beautiful day outside, uh, wherever and whenever you're listening to this episode on your drive, your walk, your workout, whatever it's going on. Um, I'm excited because today we have another fantastic guest joining us from um, the US of A. We've got uh, someone that we uh, in the mortgage space have aspired to and, and watched a lot of what him and his company have been doing for the better part of a few years and really is tapped in not only to the mortgage space, but the real estate space. Um, Mr. Ryan Grant joins us today all the way from Orange County, uh, and uh, I hear it's uh, nice and warm down there today. Ryan, how are you doing? We are doing well, man. It's, uh, it's a great day down here for sure. Fantastic, man. Fantastic. Well, I want to preface by saying we've thought about having you come on the show for a little while, but we recently saw a webinar that you did um, in partnership with a real estate agent, and it really piqued our attention because... Uh, Derek and I were talking about this before the podcast and what's interesting is to look at the trends of what's happening down in the United States compared to Canada and it's not like a direct mirror but there's so many comparables in the way that not only uh, the market trends occur but the timing it just feels like we're about three to six months behind so I mean I think as we start off I'm really kind of curious right now going into 2022 what is the general feeling that you have from people who are becoming homeowners or wanting to become homeowners in 2022 is it is it stress happiness concern like how are people feeling and what kind of questions are you getting uh for people who don't own homes but want to become like first yeah, time, first time buyers uh fear it's probably the the most common emotion that we come across right because it feels like the housing market is running away from them um, but it also in a, in a way like the mania feels like 2006 2007 right the great recession and then the crash that we saw there and you know, people are just struggling with affordability. They're struggling with the concept of paying X amount of dollars for a home that they don't feel, you know, should be that they should have to pay for that type of home. And so, you know, our number one priority as mortgage professionals really has nothing to do with what our, what our, we think most people think our job is, right? Most lending professionals think their job is to, you know, pre-approve a client, and then ultimately fund that client's loan when they go into contract or you know, refinance them once they've made that decision. Um, our job is, as real mortgage professionals now is to remove the fear and the anxiety and the uncertainty that most people have and replace it with excitement, confidence, and motivation. We do that by really taking time to educate people, right? Because so many people are making emotional decisions right now. And I know real estate is highly emotional anyways, yeah. but they are they're making bad financial decisions because of the emotions. And unfortunately for almost the entirety of our industry, real estate and mortgage professionals have not really seen that they need to help people do that. Like when someone says to a real estate agent, uh, you know, now's not a good time to buy, or there's nothing I can find in my price range, or I think I'm going to rent for a little while longer, wait for the market to come back. Or I just think this is crazy. If we allow them to make that emotional decision, the responsibility for their lack of financial success long-term and their instability in their housing actually should fall on us. Right? Okay. It shouldn't fall on the client, right? The, the, the realtor and lender shouldn't look at the client and be like, well, they made a bad decision. Like we have a, an obligation to those clients to say, look, I understand that's how you feel, but have you actually looked at the housing market and what it's expected to do over the next 20 years? 
Have you actually looked at not the national economy, but your personal economy as it relates to homeownership? Because I think if you do those two things, and then we show you how we can help you stand apart from the crowd, you'll actually go from thinking it's not a good time to buy a home to thinking it's financially irresponsible not to buy one. Right. But we just, most lenders and most realtors don't have that level of intentionality. And that's absolutely what it takes today to help people in a way that we, you know, we really should. There was a lot there. I mean, I don't even where to start to unpack that, but I'm going to go back a few points and say, I agree with you on all accounts. And the emotional component is, is at an all time high right now. Like it is absolutely at all time high. This is something people have dreamed of for five, 10, 15. Heck, we have first time buyers who are in their fifties. They've thought about this forever and they're just watching. They're almost suggesting like it's out of my grasp. And something that we see on a daily basis right now is exactly what you've mentioned. You know what? I'm going to step back. I'm not going to pursue this anymore. I'm exhausted. This is a draining emotionally, physically, mentally, and so forth. And, and then next thing you know, obviously it passes them by. Well, you specifically suggested that there are certain things that we can do to help them explain and understand or help to explain and understand how this could impact them going forward. What are some things that maybe you suggest or some things that a real estate agent or, or maybe just a client on the end who's listening to this right now, what should they be considering if that's on their mind right now, backing out? What are the types of things that they should dig deep on and, and look into? The reason people aren't buying homes right now, assuming they can qualify, right? Let's, let's make the assumption that if you can buy a home that, you know, that you should. The first thing is people typically want to buy the home as opposed to a home, right? And I, I liken it to a train, right? And so you see this train and you want the car in the front, right? You want that one, but you're, you know, and it's moving farther with this car in the front's moving farther away from you, right? So every minute you wait, the car get less and less and less, right? They get a little, you know, less nice. And then all of a sudden you're looking at this last one. You're like, I don't want to buy that. But it's like, that's what you can buy. You need to get on that train. And then once you're on it, you can start to walk up to the front because right? yes. you're moving at the same speed. But people make the mistake often of, well, you know, I don't want to change my way of life. Maybe they live by the beach and they're renting right now, or they live in this cool spot where they're renting and they don't want to have to move inland or to a less desirable area to, to become a homeowner. And I would just caution all of those people, please like look at the fear. Like what is the opportunity of, of waiting? Like, what is that going to cost you? Yeah. Because <clears throat> People don't look at the rent trends right now. I mean, I got a report yesterday that rents are up 14% year over year. Um, and Redfin just ran that analysis. And so that's outpacing home prices, right? Like home prices are going up maybe eight to 10. And so people are making the, the assumption, well, I don't want to buy because I feel like it might hurt me if I buy. I might buy at the wrong time. I might overpay for a home. Like none of those things are going to matter five, 10, 20 years from now. If you just get into homeownership, it's a smart decision and will be a smart decision. If you stay a renter, you might be displaced from where you want to live because you know you can't make that decision. Your, your rent's going to go from two thousand to twenty three hundred to twenty eight hundred to three thousand. All of a sudden, you can't even afford to rent where you want to live, much less. You know, so you're going to be forced to move to that place just to rent there, and you're going to be forced to move somewhere else that's not desirable to rent there. So. People should be more afraid of not buying a home today than they are of buying one. It just, again, it takes intentionality. It takes conversation. It takes, you know, somebody spending more than 30 seconds on a Google search before they go back to watching Netflix to really like say, hey, I need to dive into this because if I don't, 
I could get hurt by doing nothing. And one of the common, I mean, you hit the nail on the head there, but one of the common conversations that we're having multiple times every single day is like you said, well, what if prices go down? What if I have to overpay, right? And the the general feedback on that to give someone confidence is like, if this home's affordable, if it's within your budget, if you can afford the payments, even a bad month, if you can live there comfortably, right? Like if you like the place that you're living in, if it's not a one-year plan, it's like a stock, right? A stock could go down, but if you sell when it's down, yeah, you're going to take a loss. But if it's a home, if it's a place that you're going to live in, if it's not a property that you're trying to flip in 12 months, if you just look at the history of real estate, it comes back, right? And you're going to come out ahead. You're paying down principal. You're not renting. Um, I just feel like if it's a primary residence, no question if it's a long-term plan, at least if it's a five-year plan, you can't go wrong. Yeah. I mean, I, I tell people my personal story a lot, because I think we as human beings learn better through story than we do through, you know, just simple logic. Yeah. Uh, I bought my first home in August of 2006, which was legit the worst time in, you know, other than the great depression where you could have bought real estate. Uh, I paid 760 for it. And within two years, it was worth 450. And, you know, people are like, okay, well, that's a scary story. Why are you telling me this? And the reason is because, you know, I didn't have to sell that house. Like, there was nothing that I, I afforded it at the time and I could still afford it then. And I, even, you know, even though my income went down because I was in the real estate and mortgage business, I just brought in some friends and they, you know, paid rent and stayed in the room. But now that home is worth over a million dollars. I've been renting it for the past eight years. I have a renter paying it down. And, you know, it's, you look back and you go, that was a great real estate decision at the time. Now, would I have rather bought it in 2009 or 10? Of course, right? But same way you can't time any other market, you can't time the housing market. So people just have to be aware. And I, I, I actively talk to almost every economist I can find, every financial you know, wizard that I can find out there. And I ask, what shoe is going to drop that will bring housing prices down? Not slow appreciation, because there's a lot of things that could slow appreciation, affordability, you know, uh, buyer concern, you know, uh, ability for you know, home buyers, like there's a lot of things that could slow appreciation. Just no one has been able to tell me one, one shoe that could drop that would actually lower housing prices anytime in the next 20 years or the foreseeable future. So as soon as someone can tell me that I might change my tune. Otherwise I, we are all on this mission to help people not become displaced, you know, by not taking action because one out of every six homes right now is being bought by an institutional investor. Like you're not competing against your neighbors for houses anymore. You're not competing against your community. You're competing against BlackRock. Right? You're competing against you know people that have more money than they know what to do with that want to buy every affordable home and never sell it. That's interesting. And I want to stop there for a quick second because we hit a couple of key points. Now, what you're talking about, I want to unpack that because we're not seeing as much of that yet in Canada, but we know what you're talking about. But I'm not sure a lot of our listeners know exactly what you're talking about here yet. Could you maybe just explain a, a, a simple overview or a broad overview of what that is you're talking about so we can educate our consumers on what they can expect and why they need to be looking at opportunities if they own homes to acquire more and you obviously just break down, of course, why there's going to be continued to be a lack of supply here. I've always had this saying is follow the smart money, right? And the smart money is just you know, institutions that know more about financial trends than the average person. And so when you see you know, big, you know, massive chunks of money moving certain places, you should pay attention to it. And what we're seeing now is these hedge funds and Wall Street are looking at 
the fact that we have baby boomer type birth rates and we've had that for the past 20 plus years right and this is coming off of the great recession of the 2007 but for the last 15 years home builders have not built even the average number of homes to even keep up even remotely close to keep pace with that so it's a simple supply and demand issue right like there is going to be millions and millions and millions of people that need a place to live if wall street owns all of those homes then rents continue to climb and climb and climb and climb and they will never sell them right because they're going to you know if they can get a 6% 7% return on their investment year over year they're doing awesome right but it's going to be 10 14 15% would you suggest that in most of these purchases that you're talking about are these guys buying single family homes single unit stratas or are they investing in multi unit what are all you seeing it. all of it yeah, the answer is yes right okay. they not only that but they're they're paying home builders like Lennar put $2 billion into, you know, building new homes that they're not planning on selling. Right. Like what home builder builds homes that not to sell them? That's, that's historically been their job, yeah. but they're like, well, we're going to make more money holding them. Right. All right. Let's just, we're going to create a bunch of homes that we're going to rent out and people are going to pay it because they need a place to live. So they want to buy everything and they want to create a world where you own nothing and are happy about it. And the dichotomy between the haves and the have-nots in our society is growing, and, and you know, COVID exponentialized that even more, right? Like, yeah. you know, the Great Recession. Anytime we see big market drops, all the people that have the money on the sideline come in, take advantage of it, and it gets harder and harder. So, you know, we definitely want to better serve the communities that we are in, and the best way we can do that is to educate them that you know this waiting thing is not smart. You need to do what you can to own the roof over your head, right? Because it gives you the ability to at least keep up with the market, right? And then if you can buy investment properties, do that, right? This is a, you know, it's not a get rich quick thing, but it is definitely something that, you know, you and your generations to come will appreciate. Question for you on the corporate investment piece. Are there any talks or do you foresee any government intervention, like regulating that? I would hope so. I mean, I, I think they're kind of out to lunch on this. I mean, they, they were talking about at the end of last year creating a first-time home buyer tax credit. It's like, what are you, what are you doing? We don't need that. Yeah. Right? Like you should be subsidizing home builders, right? Because they can't build enough homes fast enough because of supply chain problems, costs, you know, bureaucracy, red tape of like, you know, deeding land. So like you should help home builders build more homes and then say, hey, we're gonna subsidize it, but you can only sell to you know families or people that have a certain net worth right that's how the government can step in and, and help solve this problem uh, but they're going the other direction they're like hey we'll incentivize like everyone already wants to buy a home they don't need a tax credit you need to do a tax credit when no one wants to buy a house right that's when you want to incentivize it yeah so I touching on the builder piece i mean locally here if someone buys a plot of land and they need to rezone and apply for permits you're literally looking at a couple of years before they can put a shovel in the ground for similar sure where you are. Oh yeah. And it, you know, depending upon the city, the state or the, you know, the, the zone, it, it could be even harder, right. If there's yeah. any sort of protected land or anything like that, which I understand, but yeah. we need to, you know, we need to be able to build homes. And even if we have to go start going vertical in some areas, right. But we just, if, if the people who have all of the money are the only ones doing it, we're going to have a, a, a massive divide between, you know, the, the 1% and the rest.
we're seeing the exact same issue in Canada. It's funny because the government obviously, well, I shouldn't say obviously, Derek, I mean, you can speak to this too, is we see more pushes towards incentivizing the corporations to build these affordable housing condos for rent as opposed to uh, purchaser ownership, which is interesting because, again, that's 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 feeding into, obviously, the lack of supply for homeowners. And we're seeing, you know, a lot of conversations about restricting people's ability to buy investment properties or second homes. So, so it's almost like our government is basically suggesting that the standard homeowner who's buying a second investment property is the problem here as opposed to supply or demand and, and, and so forth. So I, I do want to transition a little bit here, um, not yet into the second home piece, but I, I want to understand, because you guys are facing the same issues as us when it comes to inability to purchase, lack of supply, uh, multiple offers, you know, 15, 20 people bidding on a home, hundreds of thousands of dollars over and the fear of that. I, I really just want to understand, like, what are some of the suggestions that you and, and maybe your team are, are, are coming up with, whether it's on your own or for your clients or with a real estate agent to help people win the battle, win the home, um, or find more real estate for that matter. Maybe just a, a couple snippets as to what you could suggest. Yeah. So we have a, a platform we created here at Neo uh, called the Bulletproof Buyer. I know it's kind of an interesting name, um, but there's a multi-step process to get people in a position to take advantage of you know, any home that they come across. The first is they have to be confident that it's a smart decision. Because there's a lot of people who have pre-approval letters that they got from some online company, they click button, got mortgage. So they have something that says what they can do, but they don't actually know if they should do it. And so a home will come on the market and they'll be like, oh, wow, I don't know. It's kind of pricey, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, that home is going to be gone in 10 minutes. Yep. Like you have, you have to decide, right? And so, and the reason they're, they're, they're not sure is because the housing market, it feels scary, right? So we, we spend time showing them the data that I just referred to, right? That I just talked about. So then they can say, okay, check, right? Like we know that the housing market is running away from us. We know we have to get into it. Second part of it is how does it impact them financially? Right? Cause again, that click button, get mortgaged. All it told you was you can do something, but if you're paying $2,500 a month in rent and this pre-approval says you're going to pay 4,000, well, you can, but not a lot of people are super excited to do that. Right. So we spend time going over a five year rent versus zone analysis where we show them the future of both. We show them the tax advantages. We show them the appreciation. We show them what happens if they, if they don't. And so now we've gotten them really, really confident in the financial aspect of it to the point to where they believe, again, like I said, it's financially irresponsible not to buy a home. Those two things are missed by 99% of buyers. They don't get that education. They don't get that advice. All they have is a letter that says, you can go do whatever you want. And they're in real estate agents and lenders expect them to go do it, but that's not going to happen, right? They're going to tiptoe in, they're going to lowball offers, they're going to hem and haw, and the market's just going to keep going right by them. So once those two things are taken into consideration, now we want to make them look as much like a cash offer as possible, right? Because cash offers get accepted more often and they get accepted at lower prices. So we fully underwrite everybody's loan in advance, meaning that you know, they, we do all the work most lenders do during the transaction before. So we don't have, you know, we can remove any sort of loan contingency that the client might have, meaning that it reduces the risk to the seller. Um, and then we do a, an appraisal analysis and figure out, hey, if the, you know, if we're putting enough money down and we're comfortable with where we're coming in, are we confident in removing the appraisal contingency, which is another one that is a risk for the seller? Right, so you know, more often than not, we will prove that we will remove the appraisal contingency as long as the buyer stays protected. So at that point, 
client is just as good as cash, right? They're going to have an inspection just like a cash offer would, but we can close the transaction in 15 days, no loan contingency, no appraisal contingency. And we call the listing agent and we have the conversation about, hey, why are we structured it this way? You know, how well qualified the clients are, what it means and why we're closing so quickly, why we remove contingencies. Um, so we have a, over a 74% offer acceptance rate where the market is typically about a 10% offer acceptance rate um, for a couple, you know, for the, just those reasons, right? The client is confident that they should buy a home. They know the, the, the numbers. At that point, all they need to do is find it. And then they oftentimes will save money on the price of that home because they don't have to be the highest price to beat out cash offers because they look just like one. Uh, and then we can close quickly. So, you know, there's the way we structure the loan help. So all those things are necessary in this market to really give somebody a good fighting chance. I have one question I have to ask on that, which is you actually brought up home inspection there. Now, is that contingent? So is, is the offer contingent on the home inspection or is the home buyer just doing a home inspection for the sake of making sure it's done? No, almost always the, you'll, there's a there's a contingency for the inspection. That way, if something comes back in the inspection that's off or wrong, or you know, the home is about to fall off the foundation, um, you know, the the buyer has the opportunity to ask the client or ask the seller to fix it, uh, and you know, request for repairs, or they can pull out of the transaction and still get their earnest money back. Um, so it's really rare to remove that. Some sellers are doing like pre inspections right now where they're. You know, they're, they're doing inspections on their own and they're just showing it to buyers. And then, you know, some buyers are going to remove the inspection contingency if they feel comfortable looking at it. But, you know, it's, it's like asking, it's like a teacher asking you to grade your own paper, right? It's like, I got an A. That's well, we don't really know the inspector. I right? like you usually want your own inspection. Yeah. I mean, down here, people are quite literally deposit in hand, no inspections, no appraisals. No final approval from an institution for the most part, right? And, and the part that we <clears throat> struggle with the most is, is really that inspection because we can do a ton of due diligence on the people and their borrowing power and their financial situation. Uh, you know, we work with the real estate agents to get a good gauge on value and make sure that we're not too far out of line. But that home inspection not being done can cause massive issues. And if you're doing one after, you're committed to buying that property and there's no getting out of it, right? So that's the risk that we're seeing a lot of people take, which is unfortunate. So it's good to hear that you guys have that structure a little bit differently. I, uh, I wish that we could make that happen locally. In Canada, is the inspection reviewed by the lender? No. Okay. Yeah, we're the same way. So yeah. I mean, it doesn't matter what the inspection says, right? As long as we get an appraised value and as long as we have, you know, an approved client, we're okay. But yeah, the, you know, it's, it's really scary to buy a home no essentially without looking under the, looking under the covers. That's probably the only good suggestion our government has brought up in the last six months, which is supposedly providing the uh, timeline to do that. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, there was a lot there. It's actually interesting, Ryan, to hear you say that because, I, I mean, I can't speak for most mortgage brokers and I can definitely speak for banks. Most people I, I know don't do a lot of what you just suggested. We do a vast majority of what you said with the, with the you know, subject to the things that we cannot do uh, or, or make an offer from there. So I'm glad that we're aligned. And it sounds to me that for, for the most part, um, it, uh, we're going to toot our own horns here at the end of the day. It just comes down to the professional that you're working with to provide the advice and the support required to do that. Because I mean, I could tell you if our client goes and walks to a banking institution, none of that's happening. None of it, not a single bit. Um, I can't speak for other mortgage brokers. There's some great ones out there. Um, I would suggest that a, a large majority probably won't do that, not because they don't want to, but because either A, they don't know how, or B, they don't have the capacity or the time. Are you finding you know something similar down there where there's a few, the very small percentage of people who are doing these things? I just think that most mortgage professionals haven't had the 
direction, the leadership, the training, the systems, the platform. The biggest thing is the belief. And I wish we would, I wish we would make it a more difficult process to become a mortgage professional, right? Like it's, yes. you, you, there needs to be some ethics around like our job. I tell every client when we first start working with them, I say, look, you know, Alex, I, I want you to know our job is not to convince you to buy a home, right? It's not to try and pre-approve you for a mortgage. Um, in our time today, I just have one goal, right? And that goal is that I want to give you all the education, advice, and guidance possible to allow you to make a confident decision. And that confident decision could go one of two ways. You could either confidently decide it does make sense to buy a home and we'll go ahead and take the steps to do that. But we could come to the agreement that, you know, confidently it's not the right time to buy a home, right? But then we'll just develop a plan and a strategy and a timeline. Either outcome is fine, right? And then from there, we need to remove the outcome from the conversation. And I just don't, you know, people aren't trained that way. It's like, in order to make money, I need to sell a loan. So in order to sell a loan, I need to convince Derek to buy this property, which is wrong, right? It's just our, our industry shouldn't do that, right? We should literally just look at the analysis of the, cl- of the client situation, their finances, their situation, their future goals, and give unbiased advice that says, here's what I believe you should do, whether it's now or later. And either way, we're going to help you through the whole thing. Uh, but it's just not in our DNA as an industry, unfortunately. And that's that's really you know one of the reasons we created Neo is to try and change that. Right? Like everybody here knows we don't even use the word sales. We hate the word sales. Like we are consultants, we are advisors, we help people years before a transaction, and we help them years after a transaction. But no one expects their mortgage lender to do that, and, which is why they never call us to say, Hey, can you help me figure this out? They only call us after they believed they figured it out, and ninety nine point nine percent of the time they have not figured it out. So we're gonna take we're gonna actually transition that because we just talked about getting those offers accepted and what you do. Um, and again, I know you don't know exactly what we we do particularly up here, but uh, one of our challenges and in homeowners may or may not know this. Uh, again, people who are the end user listening to this, looking to get educated. You might not know this exactly, but your real estate agent quite frequently is the first, well, you probably do know this, the first person you talk to about your home or buying a home or selling your home or getting into it. And uh, there are some real estate agents who uh, who we work with who are, you know, know right away that, that working with a, a good professional is, is very important for a client. And so they'll introduce us or someone that they know does a fantastic job and, and you know, try to make that introduction. But then there are others who are concerned about disrupting the client's um, you know, thought process, you know, they're already pre-qualified with their bank, or maybe, maybe you're already pre-qualified with someone else. Um, I don't know if it's like this in the U S where a lot of clients up here feel like they have a relationship with their bank. I'm not sure exactly why, but they feel like they have a relationship. Um, what would you say to, you know, maybe the agents listening right now as to why the importance or why it's important for them to introduce, uh, their clients to someone who actually cares and what should they be looking for in that partnership? Because, their biggest concern is I don't want to disrupt the client and make them stressed out about that when they're already focused on the home. If we had four hours, I could talk about this. <laughs> we'll get the short version, I guess. I think that the easiest thing and the, the most time people are wired to think, okay, well, what's in this for me? Right. So like if, if I'm a real estate agent, my client's already pre-approved. I'm just trying to, you know, I have a hard enough job finding them a property, getting them home, getting their office up, getting them into the home. Right. So I don't want to have to, have them navigate off the highway to go do something else to get them back on. Right. And so usually people will just stay status quo. 
there was a study that was done here by Trulia a few years back, and I don't I think it was just an American study, but 44% of all homeowners and 63% of all millennials have some form of regret within one to two years after they bought a home. And it's because their experience in buying a home lacks education. It lacks consultation. It's just, here's your pre-approval letter. You know, what house do you want? You want that one? Great. Let's go buy that one. Right. We make an offer. We close in 15 to 30 days. You're a homeowner. Congratulations. And at that moment, the client's happy, right? For more often than not, they're happy, right? Let's, let's assume everything went well. But then they start realizing, oh man, nobody taught me about home maintenance or home repairs or home upkeep. Nobody said anything about that. And nobody told me about supplemental property taxes. I wasn't aware that, you know, this was going to be so costly or, man, I wish I would have bought a bigger home. Like, There's all this list of regrets that people have. And what happens is that happy client turns into an unhappy client a year or two later. And they blame the real estate agent and they blame the lender because they're like, I wish... Would have been nice if they would have told me some of these things, right? Like they didn't, they didn't really give me much advice or guidance. They just completed the transaction that I asked them to help me complete. But most real estate agents and lenders don't actually think that's their job, right? They're just there to complete the transaction, do it well, good customer service, you know, protect them with the guardrails. And so if you're a real estate professional, your number one priority should be protect your client and make sure that they are proactively growing their generational wealth and proactively planning for real estate goals for the next 30 plus years. And we all know that lenders have never thought to do either of those things, right? But there are a few of us out there that really believe in that. And so if you want to run a business that is is inspirational for you, that is fulfilling, right? It's not just transactional, that you can look back and see with real economic indicators how you've impacted the livelihood of your clients beyond just helping them buy a home. Um, then you have to find a mortgage partner who believes in adding value to the client, not just during the transaction, but well before, and most importantly, well after. Uh, and there's so many other things, right? Like they're not going to be fully underwritten with an average lender. They're not going to, they're going to write 30 day. I, I was up in Washington the other day, uh, speaking for a real estate group. And I said, who here has pre-approved buyers? Everyone raised their hand. And I said, who here is writing 30-day offers with loan contingencies and appraisal contingencies? Everybody looks around, kind of starts raising their hand. And I said, your clients are an ant. You're the kid with the magnifying glass, right? Like it's torture to put your clients through that. And they're all just like, okay, well, what else do we do, right? And then I told them all the things we do and they're just like, okay, this is what we should be doing, right? So everything from just getting them into a home to the advice, to the planning, to the after part of it, what services and strategies, like, you know, we have a customer success group that will, that calls our clients every single year on the anniversary of their transaction closing. And we help them proactively navigate the changes and evolutions in their life and plan for future real estate. And our agent partners love that because it's just an extension of their team, right? So they can make those commitments. And I, you know, we want to change we want to fundamentally redefine what it means to be a real estate or mortgage professional. And that is the, the level of standard that we believe is, you know, should be expected from, from us as an industry. There's a, a lot to unpack there. And we didn't even touch on the importance of the preparation and even the pre-approval process, which was a whole other <laughs> bag of worms there. Uh, Derek, you had a thought on that. I was just going to say, I think we'd work well together if we weren't in uh, two separate countries. We run a very similar model, right? And, and you know what? One thing that stood out what you just said, which is the worst part of, of all of this is 
you know, there's so many brokers and lenders and, and real estate agents that aren't going to these levels and to these lengths to help their clients. And that could even be in a normal market. And you throw in a market like we've seen for the last 24 months, we run into people that have been declined from their bank and their bank gave them the green light to go subject free, right? Without doing a full underwritten pre-approval. There are just so many people that don't understand the risks and the depths and where you have to go in this process to actually help a client get into a property, but help them get into that property with very little risk. Right. And that's the scary part about these markets is there's just, there's way too many people with not enough education to confidently help their clients achieve their goals in this market. It's, it's frightening. Very, very frightening. It's not a lack of want, right? Like the desire to do all the things that we do. I've never run across anybody that's like, I don't want to do any of that stuff, right? As soon as I I, I tell this to mortgage professionals and I, I tell it to real estate professionals, it it speaks to almost all of them. Now, maybe there's some that it doesn't speak to, but I just haven't heard from them. Um, everybody wants to do it. Either they don't know how, they don't have the time, right? Or they don't have the team, right? And so it's one of those three things typically. And so we just, we have to solve for those, you know, to help our real estate professionals and help our mortgage professionals to really elevate uh, to a place where not only they should be, but, you know, the client deserves uh, to have from an experience level. So um, that's one of the things we're really focused on right now is how do we help more mortgage professionals and real estate professionals develop the same conceptual platform that we have uh, and allow them to really, you know, give clients what they, not, not just what they want, but what they really need. Yeah, that, there, there was so much packed in there. Again, I feel like uh, we're, we're going to have to have separate topics and conversations on each of these items. One, I'm going to transition here into a different topic because uh, we've got a limited amount of time with you here. And it's something we touched on earlier that I said we'd come back to you, and that's the concept of buying a second home or a third property. And uh, just your thoughts and feelings towards that and how you have those conversations. Let me preface by saying we're big advocates of teaching people how to leverage and utilize their equity for the purposes of buying uh, assets. And assets, obviously, are something that's going to continue to grow in value or earn the money, make some passive income. Uh, we talk about it all the time. That being said, there's a lot of fear, concern around it. Again, we mentioned we talked about property values decreasing. We talked about rents going up and so forth. I just love to hear, just generally speaking, your feelings around homeowners learning how to do this. Is this something they should consider? Uh, how do you explain it? The same way that we would, you know, the same advice I would give uh, to a client is the same advice that I follow myself, which is no advice ever works for every person, right? And so, you know, I, I believe in have, having balance in every aspect of your life. And so we have clients that are over leveraged in real estate, right? And they're, they aren't diversified into other asset classes, which I believe would really help them. And then we have clients that are, have no, you know, assets really in real estate. They have a primary residence and they have a bunch of money in the stock market and they have money in, you know, these different areas, but a primary residence for all intents and purposes is, is a liability, right? Cause it doesn't, there's no income producing from it. It's just an expense. Right. right. So an asset is an investment property, right? Because it's income producing, not only in you know cash flow, hopefully, uh, but also in appreciation. So when we talk with our clients, we always tell them, hey, you know, whether we're buying our first home or our fifth home, um, we want to make a, a, a real estate plan. Right? We want to know what we're doing and when we're doing it, how we're doing it. Um, some people will sell their departing residence and turn it into a rental um, and then go buy a new home. Uh, or I'm sorry, they'll they'll go buy a new home and turn their departing residence into a rental. 
Uh, and sometimes it makes sense and sometimes it doesn't, right? Depending upon capital gains, you know, what type of property that is, could they, you know, are they selling a property that is really more of a uh, transitional rental home? Like, you know, if I, if I were to sell my home, it's not a good renter home because the person who can afford to rent it can definitely afford to buy. They're just not in position yet. So I'd have a lot of turnover there. Um, so it make, it would make more sense for me to sell that and then take those assets and diversify it into multiple rental properties. Um, so every person's going to be a little bit different, but most people just don't even, they never plan for real estate. It's very reactional and it's very emotional, right? So some, you know, they either try and keep up with the Joneses or something happens in their life where they have to buy or sell a property, but very few people look at investing in real estate the same way they look at putting money into their 401k. Right. Um, and so we, we just have to get people open to the idea that it can happen. Um, there's a lot of people will, you know, we'll close the transaction. We'll do our first annual review and say, Hey, what's your future real estate goals? Like what are, what's our plan? I don't know. Don't we really have one? Just plan on a loan here for a while. Okay. Well, have you ever thought about buying investment properties, you know, to help you from a you know wealth and retirement perspective and generational wealth for children? Uh, not really. Okay, well, why don't we do this? Why don't we just put together a plan for you, right? If you were to save $1,000 a month, right? If you were to save, you know, whatever your you know, discretionary income is, your whatever, you know, revenue you have left over after you pay your bills, like let's figure out and we we show them kind of the waterfall effect of finances, right? So, emergency fund, you know, pre-tax or pre-tax retirement and then waterfalls all the way down into your opportunity fund. How much money do you have left every month to go into that opportunity fund and where are we allocating it? So we've been able to help clients, you know, buy three or four investment properties over the last 10 years just by saying, hey, let's just set a goal. Every month you're going to set aside this amount of money. And in 24 months, you know, we'll have enough of a down payment for you to put 25% down on an investment property. And that'll be our, our, our home number one. What do you think? Yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Great. And then we call them the next year. How's it going? We kind of do, you know, then six months in, we're starting to work through the plan and get closer. Uh, we just, we have a saying that if anyone calls us and says that they want to buy, sell, or finance a home, we've already failed if it's a past client, right? Because we should be so proactively engaged with our clients that we help them decide when to buy, sell, or finance a home because we've educated them and we've helped them work towards that plan. So um, that's really how we approach it. In terms of second homes, um, you know, if you're going to, if it's a true second home, uh, you just want to make sure you have the liquidity and the, the, the income for it. Right. Um, but a lot of people are buying second homes and then turning them into VRBOs um, and it ends up being a rental. Right. So um, just depends on the definition of second home or, or investment property. Yeah. The, the one takeaway, I mean, there's quite a few takeaways, but the biggest one right off the top was the fact your primary residence, it, it, it is an asset, but it's also a liability at the end of the day. Right. In that perspective. And um, how many people, I don't know how many people you talk to, but a lot of people we talk to are saying, you, you know, maybe they're forties or fifties. And they're saying all they have really at this point right now is, is some savings and, and our RSPs up here. I think you guys would have a 401k, which would be similar to that. And they're saying, well, when I get older, I'm just going to sell my home and downsize. And it, that blows my mind because, well, first of all, you see where real estate values are going. Uh, second of all, we've seen it time and time and time again, where that person does sell their home, downsize, and then a few, few years later, they're out of money. And that happens really, really, really quickly. So our, our conversations with every home buyer is you need to look at, if it's not real estate, so be it. But you need to look at using the equity that you have right now in your home for the purposes of, of building that opportunity that you've discussed there. So. Uh, glad that we're aligned on that piece. Yeah. 
Uh, well, let's, uh, I guess, just follow up wrapping up. I just, curiously, on my end, I'd love to know, do you guys see much in the way, I mean, I know you're in Orange County, so it's kind of focused right there, but have you heard more in the way of uh, people or Canadians, I should say, specifically uh, looking to purchase in the U.S. And, and looking to make moves down there? Again, it's just a general question, but love to know from you. We lend all over the country. Um, you know, we, you know, my, my personal team will lend from you know, Tennessee, Florida, you know, all over the place, mainly because there's this exodus of California, right? A lot of people leaving California to go to more tax appropriate states for them in different phases of their life to go to more cost effective places. Um, and so we've, we've been lending kind of all over the country, but we also think a lot of people come to California, right? And so it just depends yeah. on, you know, on where you want to be in terms of like foreign national type stuff, you know, whether it's Canadians or, um, you know, people coming from any other country, I don't know if I've seen any sort of trend um, other than, you know, we've always kind of seen the Canadians coming into the Palm Springs market, right? You get kind of the snowbirds that, that will come for seasons. Um, I just think we're seeing most people live where they want to live now, as opposed to where they have to live because of, you know, what COVID has done with remote work. Um, you know, and there's people that are moving to different countries and still working you know, with their same company, it's just same way we're working today. We'd be having a meeting, you know, whether we worked in the same office or whether we were four countries apart. And so I really believe people should look at where do you want to raise your kids? Where do you feel like you're going to have the best quality of life? Where is your income going to, you know, give you the best opportunities? Uh, and then from there, you know, whether it's moving countries or moving states or moving cities, um, people should really actively look at that. I threw you a little curveball there. I was just curious more than anything else. So no, that's yeah, that's the Canadian trend, <laughs> but I, it'd be interesting to know. Well, uh, with that being said, the fact that you work all across uh, the United States means that I would imagine you probably have access to some foreign buyer programs. So we yeah. could certainly, uh, it, 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 anybody listening to the podcast, if you like an introduction to Ryan's team, reach out to us directly and we'll make sure that we get the appropriate information so that we can help match it up. And Ryan, we'll touch base offline to discuss and make sure that uh, we understand the guidelines so that our our clients are properly set up there from, from our perspective. I think the biggest takeaways for me, obviously the preparation piece, Ryan, that you just mentioned, um, I really, really, really enjoyed the the conversation that you had there in relation to uh, home buyers and homeowners in general, finding confidence, not just in the fact of buying a home, but also understanding it as a part of their financial future. Uh, of course, you know, understanding around the preparation um, that it takes and that real estate agents listening to this should understand, again, don't just let your client go anywhere, make sure they're getting properly educated educated, not just up front, but after the fact, which is massive, something that we do as well. The annual follow-up, so important, just like a financial planner. Uh, Ryan, what's the best way for someone to reach you if not introduced by us? Is there somewhere that you'd like to direct people to, to look you up or your company, Neo? Yeah, you can go to our Facebook page and you just put Ryan Grant, Neo Home Loans, you know, Facebook. Our website is ithomeloans.com, which is insightteamhomeloans.com. Um, really, if you just put Ryan Grant mortgage in Google, you can you can get our information anywhere. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I believe if we all work together as real estate and mortgage professionals, we can redefine what it means uh, and, you know, create a new expectation that the client should have um, that is, has nothing to do with the transaction. Um, it, you know, our goal is to expand people's scope and stop looking at a 30 day transaction and start looking at a 30 year relationship that somebody, you know, how is somebody going to help you? Because if you look at the wealthiest people in America, they're not wealthy because they have money, right? They're wealthy because they have information. And, you know, our team and our group, and just, you know, just like you all, 
we are committed to being proactive with that information in every aspect of real estate or finance, which means that you know, your mortgage and real estate professionals can help you grow wealth in ways that you never thought as long as they, you know, as long as they're committed to that, that path. And so uh, I'm just excited to keep driving that train. Thanks, Ryan. Appreciate you having on. And uh, again, guys, listening to this podcast, lots of good information here. If you want to find out more Ryan, about Ryan and his team, we'll put the links below and reach out to us directly if you'd like to be connected. Thanks again, Ryan. Appreciate you having, on, having you on. Thanks, gentlemen. Thanks, good Ryan. Talk.